She's sometimes sad, she's sometimes happy She's doing things to make her life less crappy Trying to treat men that's new on the scene Let's sit back and talk about ketamine Welcome to Ketamine Insights, where we sit back and talk about ketamine. Today's episode is the second half of my conversation with Angel. Neither of us are psychologists or medical experts, but we have both been undergoing ketamine treatment for several years. Together, we explore her experiences from joy and healing to shaking and tears and back again. I feel the need to emphasize that ketamine does not help everyone. And as Angel says, it takes a lot of work alongside exposure to the chemical itself. I'm so glad to bring you the second half of this conversation. It's a truly inspirational story with a lot to teach. We'll pick up where we left off with Angel and I discussing some of the healing that ketamine therapy can bring. I would urge anybody, you know, at any, any point in your life, it doesn't matter where you are, what you've been through you know, to, to do what you can to, to find the ketamine treatment because it's life-altering and it's life-saving. And the people that I know in my circle who do receive ketamine, we all say the same thing. Well, yeah, but it saved my life because I, I was simply done. And that's a very scary place to be. And, you know, there is a lot of spiritual attachment between me and my brother. And, um, I have had so many experiences with him and losing him the way that we did was extremely traumatic. I mean, it devastated me and my two sisters and, um, my mother's response was just very removed and cold and distant. And, um, that made it harder for us. And what's interesting is, is that my mother and I never really bonded and life with her was not good. But in, in her ketamine treatment about a year ago, um, she came down in light. Like I saw her coming down a staircase, but she was in light form and she walked up to me and uh, I couldn't see her face or anything. It was just sheer white light. And so she came up beside me and she said, step outside of yourself. And so I did. I saw myself standing there and I stepped outside of myself and she said, now stand next to yourself and look at you and I want you to see you the way I do. And so I did and I just sobbed and I said, my God, I'm beautiful. And she said, yes, you are. And that brought me so much healing because my mother, wherever she is right now, wanted me to experience some healing come from her. Mm-hmm. come from the person who brought me so much pain. And she wanted me to see the beauty in me. And that's the most important thing is nobody in this life is ever going to need you as much as you need you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she showed me, look at yourself. You should be proud. And I sobbed. I sobbed through that treatment. And I came out of it just thinking all the way home about, wow, yeah, you know what? I've raised two really amazing human beings. And now I have these two amazing grandchildren and I have worked my butt off and been a really Mm -hmm. good, I've been a really great human being my whole life and, you know, take great care of my animals and, you know, I'm a good wife and all the things. And it was that treatment. It was that moment that made me step outside of myself and say, look at yourself. And I just wish everybody could see themselves. I, it feels like, um, a very different experience of than somebody saying that, you know, even someone very close to you Mm. in regular life, like, no, you're a good person. You know, you're, you're, you're strong. You're, you've done all these wonderful things, you know, like to, to feel it in that way from your mother, like it, the habit of that, it feels like a much more powerful and maybe long lasting. Is that right? That it, it, it was much more powerful than 
a therapist yeah. telling you that, for example, in a session. Oh yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. You know, I, my kids are always, you know, mom, you were such a good mom growing up. You mm -hmm. did this and this and this. And, and I hear these things and I hug them and kiss them and thank them. Mm -hmm. And I remember, but there's always this hesitancy inside to believe the good things about ourselves when depression is, has always been your way of life. Right. And so that is a, another reason why it's so believable when it comes into ketamine, you know, because the ketamine is, is bringing healing to your brain. But at the same time, not only is it working on healing this brain that has been suffering for so long, it is also bringing in these experiences that we each individually so desperately need to experience whatever it is we need to experience to heal, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and it just so happens that, you know, there's, there is no intimate relationship in this world that could ever match that of a mother and child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mine was damaged from the get with, with my mom. And I always grieved that. And I had to draw very healthy boundaries as an adult. I finally said, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is not okay. And that created a whole issue. But even before ketamine, I recognized there needs to be boundaries here. And, mm -hmm. you know, then she died and I didn't get to say goodbye. And our relationship was not even existent when she died. And so you know, you carry a lot of guilt, you know, just these, these, mm -hmm. inner, these inner conversations, these dialogues, you know, that oh yeah, are, they're not necessarily made of truth. Okay. They're not right. necessarily a fact, but we as human beings still, you, you know, especially I, I know the emotions just kind of take over and having her come to me in her light form and say, Hey, you need to stop and you need to look at yourself. I'm going to help me. I'm going to help pull you out of you so you can just look at you. And that, that was, that was pretty amazing. I think if it had come in the form of anyone else during a ketamine trip, it probably wouldn't have been quite so profound, but the fact that it came from my mother mm -hmm. um, brought me healing on a lot of levels and made me okay with her on a lot of levels, you know? I, oh, well, you're in your light form. Okay. I'm glad, you know, that means that you've made it to a good place. And, and now you're seeing things from a whole different perspective and you see me, you know, and the conversations I'm having with you, you're hearing them and you're understanding my tears. And so because I'm having this spiritual conversation with you about ketamine, I can say without a doubt that the, our, our loved ones aren't dead and gone. Mm -hmm. They're just, their body isn't here. And we are such visual creatures that we require, I, I got to see everything to believe it. And, you know, even the saying, seeing is believing. Well, not necessarily, mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, I, I, I have this thing hanging on my wall, this angel in, in the center, it's welded, just believe. And that's all you got to do is just believe because they are right there. And uh, I've, I've had far too many experiences during ketamine sessions to believe any differently, even my at-home lozenges. Mm -hmm. and, and something interesting, my guide for the at-home lozenges, um, I had a, a, an appointment with her and I was sharing with her some of the profound things that were happening with me. And she said, I, I've got to tell you something really interesting. She said, um, I was meditating yesterday and Red Tara came to me hmm. and she said, when I finished meditating, I thought, okay, I know one of my patients had an experience with Red Tara, but I couldn't remember who it was because I have so many. And then on my, my appointment calendar for the very next day, you were listed. Hmm. And she said, and then it like hit me between the eyes. Oh my gosh. Red Tara came to me because Angel is scheduled to see me tomorrow. Hmm. And she said, I, I just find that amazing. And she said, there are times where I will have appointments with patients 
say there'll be certain weeks where I'll have appointments back to back with patients and almost all of them will have reported that they had the same experience that week while doing the ketamine lozenge. Hmm. And she said, I can't explain it and it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. But she said, I mean, she had to agree with me that this is not, when we go into ketamine treatment, we are having spiritual Mm-hmm. experiences. We are going to other dimensions. I know I've been to other dimensions that would sketch most people out if I even described to them what I've witnessed. And, um, you know, I, I feel like you're, it's even possible to, you know, kind of astral travel, you know, and end up somewhere else. I know that's happened to me, mm-hmm. but only during ketamine treatment. And uh, I come out of every single session healed by something in particular. And the ketamine just knows where you need to be to have that healing. It makes me think of something my therapist told me once that I think I might have talked about once on the podcast, just this idea that you don't need to kind of on a lot for a lot of things that are hurting like you said, sometimes you can't find the words. Sometimes intellectually, like your intellectual tools are not the right tools. Yeah. And your body, your mind, your soul, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, your spirit knows what it needs and and can heal itself. It just, you need to create the right environment for that to happen uh-huh. or the best that you can at least. And it feels, that feels very, very real to me when I think about my ketamine experiences that things, I'm given messages like that, that I don't, I didn't know I needed to hear. Or I thought I knew that they were true and I did, and I didn't realize the depth to which they were true. You know, things like that where I, I kind of knew them to be true, but now I believe them to be true. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's very true. It's it's just the perfect environment. It's right for your body to do the healing or your mind, your spirit to do that healing that it knows on a on a much deeper level inside of you that you need and that will make you feel better, more whole, more complete, happier, have a more meaningful life, more present. Mm. I think in a lot of cases. More present. Yes. And and I think that's because well, if you're severely depressed, you are a person, you are blood and flesh walking around doing the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, you know, you're at least I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for anyone else, but this is how I could articulate it best is it really feels like my spirit or my soul and um, my mind stepped away. Right. Because everything got to be too much. And uh, the ketamine kind of reels it back in. And it says, okay, we're going to make you whole again. Look, you're going to have to deal with this and you got to deal with that. We're going to help you heal from this. Here's a tool to heal with that, heal from that. And you become this whole being little by little. And, uh, you know, and it does take maintenance Mm -hmm. and I'm there for it. Like I will continue to do the maintenance doses. I I don't ever want to find myself in a place where I've come from. That right. that's not an option. And um, I think that spiritual healing is in place for a lot of people. And you know something, I'm I'm certain that there's so many people so depressed that they don't even realize it. Yeah, I'm definitely. I I was one for. I was. I think I. I, in hindsight, can trace very depressive behaviors to early childhood, and I wasn't diagnosed till I was thirty. Wow! And in hindsight, it's ob- it's obvious, <laughs> very obvious, yeah. but not it wasn't at all at the time. It was shocking to me yeah. when I was finally diagnosed. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just so grateful that we're finally at a time. I, I wish that my siblings could have lived long enough. Mm. You have had the um, accessibility to ketamine mm-hmm. um, because it really hasn't been on the scene for all that long. No. And, um, you know, now 
there's other psychedelics that are, you know, coming on to the scene. And I'm so excited for that. Um, because yeah, I, me too. I know because you know something, what if there is stuff inside of me that still makes me cry mm-hmm. that these other treatments are going to be able to open that door that the ketamine can't quite unlock. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I feel the same way that there's a certain, I don't know, angle yeah. that ketamine is really good at. And probably there's a different kind of angle on the same things that ketamine touched or different things entirely that just a different filter of a different, you know, whether it's mushrooms or MDMA or, you know, psilocybin or MDMA or all the ones that are coming down the pipeline. Yeah. The research is, it's so promising. It's, it's very exciting. And it's the first time in 30 or 40 years that mental health has actually had new tools like this. So long overdue. Long overdue. Long overdue because, you know, something, when people see someone with a physiological illness, it's easy for them with their eyes to see the pain. And Mm. so they are able to, you know, express some sympathy, you know, and extra kindness and compassion. And oftentimes people who are suffering mentally are doing it on the down low and suffering very quietly because, you know, we have this hyper-awareness. We know what it's like to suffer and we don't want to drag anybody down in the sinking ship. Mm. And so, uh, you know, you, you keep getting up every morning and do the things. And then when you're alone, you crash and burn and ketamine fixes it. So you don't have to keep it. You know, now if I'm having mm-hmm. a hard time, it's easy for me to say to my daughter, I will walk up to her and say, Hey, and I couldn't do this six months ago. Six yeah. months ago, I had a conversation with my family and said, when you see me not eating well, when you see me, when you walk in and I'm on the couch sleeping and when you notice I'm not talking much, I need a treatment. Mm-hmm. Now I can walk up to my daughter six months later and say, I'm not doing okay. I, it's time for me to schedule a session. And, um, you know, it, it, the healing is not always going to be big, huge jumps. But to me, that's big because... Absolutely. And because it makes other healing possible. If you can communicate with the people with your support network, that's just such a catalyst to all sorts of other positive changes. It is. And as a mom, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm also setting the example, right? You know, that you need to articulate when you're not okay. You need to say it, you need to say the words. And there's no shame in that. And it's okay. And you're loved and supported. And, um, it took somebody, just an older woman that I, I spoke with one day, and she said, you do realize you're the matriarch of your family now. Mm. And that blew me away. And I said, oh, my gosh, then I need to up my game. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I got to make sure that I leave this good example for my children and my grandchildren that, you know, it's okay if you're not doing okay. Right. You know, you don't have to put on this strong front. And it's okay to ask for help and say, you know, I need somebody to help hold me up because I can't hold myself up right now. And, and I'm ho- hopefully they're seeing that and mm-hmm. learning from it because, you know, it's, um, and I keep telling them, if you ever feel like you're not okay, you say the word and we're, mm-hmm. we're going to, you're going to go get a consult, you know, with the ketamine doctor because <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. Um. I forgot until now that we have a lightning round to end, oh. <laughs> to end off the um, interview. If you're up for it, it's just a couple sure. quick questions. Okay, great. Um, so the idea here is just to give practical advice, understanding, of course, with the caveat, of course, that different stuff works for different people, different, you know, your mileage may vary to all the listeners out there. But um, for people who are, you know, newer to ketamine or thinking about trying it for the first time. Do you have any practical advice for ketamine patients about for um, about music, for example? Do you listen to music? Do you how do you choose it? Do you, is it silence? What what's your preference? Well, it's only been recently that I have started incorporating music, and mm. um, I choose Reiki music, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
I have my favorite. You know, I tried a different one this last time and I found the experience a little different. And so I'm going to go back to my original. Yeah. And I, it's just something on Spotify that I found. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's meditation music, but it's specifically noted as Reiki music. And I appreciate that. That has helped me to access some different healing that I haven't up until now. So it's really an individual thing. I know that this friend of mine who has a whole platform on ketamine treatments has a playlist of songs that she listens to, and they might remind her of that time when she was a teenager and, you know, mm. just, just for example. And so that song, now she can relate that song to a better experience instead of pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't, because music already in my everyday life stirs so much emotion and is connected and attached to so many things, I choose not to use songs that I would listen to on the radio. Um, I choose, a, you know, a soundtrack that is more Reiki related or meditation. Mm-hmm. But it's really individual, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And do you listen to different Reiki music or is it, do you ch- tend to go back to the same? Well, I think that there's one in particular that is my favorite and yeah. I would, I would have to go back to that one because I did stray from it and just try something different that, I mean, I think that this last one I did, the soundtrack was something um, like Reiki with angels or angel mm-hmm. music. And there was just too many bells and chimes. Yeah. And and I found it very distracting. And sometimes it would take me away from an experience that I was having too quickly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wasn't done. So, it, you know, I feel like that's something that people have to play with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I said, sometimes I want silence. Sometimes my brain is just so, feels so tired. I don't want the distraction of music. And so, you know, I put the, the, the um, noise cancellation on and I just uh, go into myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, more often than not, personally, I prefer that. I really prefer to go in because I'm having a conversation with myself in ketamine. Right. And I don't know if that's, if you do that, if you're having, your logic brain is having a conversation with this emotional brain, but I do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I feel, sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I feel like if, sometimes I feel an urge to ask the ketamine a question and it almost feels like the ketamine's like, man, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Like, don't, you're not the boss here, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of more like, I feel like it's part of my intention. So, you know, yeah. what, whatever my intention is, you know, I'm, as I'm going in, I'm repeating the intention and I, you know, I have this, I, I have a goal. And uh, so when I start to get sidetracked and something else is happening, I will have this conversation and say, remember, you came into this because you're looking for connection with self. Remember, you're looking for this. No, I'm telling you. And sometimes it's not great for me. And the doctor always says to me, let the brain do what the brain wants to do. And, uh, and I say, but I am the master of my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it's not indeed that way. I mean, the, the brain and the spirit are the masters, you know. And mm-hmm. so uh, sometimes I just have to hand the steering wheel over and go, okay. I mean, you're absolutely right. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut and our thoughts quiet and let it do what it has to do. Um, But it It is such an interesting dance, right? Between kind of trying to guide the experience to some degree, like you're saying toward your intention, that kind of thing. And also kind of getting out of the way and letting things surprise you. Yeah. And that, that is so well put. That's perfect. That's exactly how it is. And it's really an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, this, this friend of mine, she listens to her playlist and changes it up every single, and she's been in treatment for seven years. Wow. And, uh, I just can't do that. Mm-mm. You know, yeah. th- things are very loud in my brain already. So. Right. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> okay. What about physical comfort? Do you have any recommendations for either at home or in the clinic? Um, things that you like to do to make it a 
relaxing, comfortable experience? I have a neck pillow. So like a traveling pillow that is just for my ketamine treatments and a nice fuzzy blanket because, you know, the thing about ketamine is you do tend to get kind of chilly. Mm-hmm. And, um, so make sure you dress comfortably, make sure that you have, you know, a comfort fuzzy blanket or, you know, whatever is going to suit you for feeling chilly, especially my extremities, my hands and my feet get really chilly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make sure that I plan for that. Um, I have my pillow. I make sure that I bring water because coming out of it, I mean, I have to have Zofran. Um, yeah, for the nausea. Yeah. And that just makes me really thirsty. And um, whatever is going to bring you comfort, whatever is going to make you feel okay, because look, ketamine is not a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. It is not, you know, some kind of experience that anyone really looks forward to. Um, I, I told my husband, it's, it's an investment in me. And I know that I can plan on being really, really sick afterwards, but I have to do it. And so I try to make myself as comfortable as I can while I'm doing it and afterwards. Like I said, it's Mm -hmm. hard. So many of us are going to have to travel to get home after. That's the hardest part. It's it's the ride home because, you know, I'm still tripping. Um, Mm -hmm. Make sure you have sunglasses. Um, Oh, that's a good point. I've been meaning to bring that exact thing up on this podcast, actually. Always bring sunglasses. Yeah, and have them like right next to you to put on as soon as you come out of your session. Um, Because the second that that's the first thing we do is pop my sunglasses on because I can't handle any. And there is a lot of double vision. So don't freak out. Expect to have to keep one eye closed for an hour. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean... There's just, there's no shame in what you have to do to be comfortable because you are, you are taking care of you. This is your healing journey. I think that's perfectly said, right? Do what it takes, do what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is the five, there's sort of a set of final lightning round questions. So the idea is, um, do you have any advice or suggestions for, the following types of people. So there'll be five people. So just, you know, because there's people besides patients that are listening to this, their allies, their, you know, family members, doctors, whatever. I mean, therapists, who knows? Um, (laughs) I hope there's, I hope there's people like that listening. Who knows? Uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) So do you have any advice um, that you would give uh, to ketamine clinicians? I would say really take the time to help the patient understand what an intention or integration is. So help them to prepare to go into the journey. Help them to prepare to come out of it. Because until you are well experienced in having these treatments, you can kind of feel like you're being tossed around a little bit, you know, when you come out of it. And, you know, you have to be intentional about your healing afterwards. And it really took me a while to figure that out. Even with all the exposure, you know, with what's available online or social media or my clinic, it really took me a hot minute to figure out that I need to be intentional during this window of time after my ketamine session. And so that means, you know, making sure that I'm not being exposed to anything or anyone who's going to upset me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe have some comfort foods on hand. I make sure I've got bagels and apples. Mm -hmm. When I get home, I'm not okay. And my daughters know that mom is going to want half a bagel and an apple. And it's just all these little things that you, you know, you're not going to the dentist for a filling. You're just going to come home and, you know, whatever that just happened. You're just not, you're kind of going to be, a little tipsy turvy, even to your core, because you, there is stuff healing inside of you that you're not even aware of. And, um, so I would say, make sure that you take the time to really help them go into the journey, help them to come out and, and, and be aware that they, they're going to need to prepare for when they get home. Yeah. I think that's a great, I think the the education, about what it's like and what needs to happen before and after is really lacking for 
I, you know, in most, in most cases, I think most of us are not prepared. Um, and hopefully, you know, there's more information out there more and more every day, luckily, but okay. Second group of people is psychiatrists or other physicians. And this doesn't necessarily have to do with ketamine, but just dealing with mental health or however, if there's anything, even complaints, suggestions, advice, whatever you think for psychiatrists or other physicians. Well, something I think that the um, the approach to mental illness is shifting a little bit, and I was just listening to um, it was a, I think it was a talk show, and and they were discussing how um, a lot of doctors are trying to gear away from diagnoses, you know, instead of label instead of labeling somebody something, you know, maybe what doctors need to spend more time doing is looking at the history of the patient. And I'm just really fortunate that I've landed in the office of this, the doctor that I have, um, because I had expressed to her that I was experiencing these things. And I said, does that mean that I have this label? And uh, she kind of smiled and said, do you do these experiences make you scared? Do you feel scared when you experience them? And I said, not at all. I'm rarely scared. And she said, then I would say, because of your contact, you know, on the spiritual side of life, then I wouldn't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like, you know, in some cultures, people who suffer mental illness would be considered healing healers by shamans, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I appreciate the doctors who are open-minded enough to step away from, you know, the diagnosis, the labels, you know, let's step away from the labels and let's look at the person as a being. Mm -hmm. And while you have, you know, been through some real garbage, um, most things are, you know, just a trauma response. Mm Mm-hmm. And there, there are just some doctors out there I know because I have been in their office. There are some doctors who don't acknowledge that, that, mm-hmm. oh, well, don't worry about this label. That's a trauma response. You are having a trauma response. So what we need to do is help you learn some coping mechanisms so that you don't get stuck there. And I, I, I guess I would just say, take the time to get to know people as a whole you know, maybe talk to them, maybe find out what happened to you, Mm -hmm. you know, because we aren't born full of this kind of pain. Right. So I would say that that would be, if I could, if I could say this to a room full of doctors, that's what I would say. Take the time. Don't forget that these are people having a, you know, a very human experience and it's painful sometimes. Right. And that I know I always I hear defenses, you know, of that exact request of people say, well, you know, there's this whole system, this healthcare system that doesn't allow doctors to take the time. Mm-hmm. And I agree. That's true. Like, f- that, fair enough. But we all, including them, need to be working on changing that system because it's not it's cruel. It can be really cruel. It can. And and if you know what w- we do have the online um, therapy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and now zoom is such a big thing, you know, with therapy. So I, I also wish that maybe doctors could help a patient who is already so exhausted with depression or mental illness say, okay, this is the link, or this is the name contact, you know, go here. And uh, that's, right. gonna, that's gonna be your homework. And when you come back in a month, I want to know who it is you're talking to. I mean, I I understand that, you know, you can't hold somebody accountable for, you know, every single thing, but there just needs to be a deeper interest in helping people survive mental illness. And I know that because I've lost people to mental illness. Mm -hmm. So um, my brother suffered his entire life with bipolar Mm -hmm. and the man was so exhausted. He couldn't hold on for one more day. And I just really desire things to shift so that more time is taken with people maybe you know more compassion instead let's let's diagnose you and write you a prescription there's some there needs to be another step 
I heard one family member say something like, um, there was an acronym that went along with it, but basically the idea was nobody, nobody brings a casserole when you're mentally ill. Mm -hmm. You know, like the neighbors don't come by (laughs) the way they might if you broke your leg. And I thought that was such a good way to put it. It's not, we don't care for it the same way. We don't wrap our arms around with tenderness as a culture the same way. Yeah, that is great. I really like that. Um, I mean, it's sad, but it's right. It's true. But these very people would show up with a casserole after the fact when it's too late. I have to interject here because the audio got so bad. You could not understand my question to Angel, which was, what advice would you give to friends, allies, family members, uh, members of your support network? Um, you know, I, I can only speak from my experience and what I experience is something very supportive from my children. Um, my daughters are fully invested in, in helping me. And so it really is being able to be present with the person who is in ketamine treatment, because there are times that for the hour and a half trip home, I am crying. I am simply sobbing. Um, and I can't really articulate to my daughter why, but sometimes she'll just hold my hand, you know, and, um, or I know mom, you know, I understand. And to be present, and there's just a, there is a whole population of people who can't be present with others who are crying. And um, be just really be fully present with the person that you love that is in ketamine treatment. Because the, there's nothing easy about the sessions and there's nothing easy about the integration And so being gentle, being patient, compassionate, and um, being willing to tend to your loved one. I mean, I I need tending to on the night that I get home from ketamine. I I just need that care. Mm -hmm. And so that is the the number one thing. And, and, And don't, that is no time to discuss anything upsetting or even remotely um, controversial with, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want to hear about anything upsetting about your day. I don't want to hear about the news. I don't want, and a lot of times I just stay right off my phone. Um, because while I can choose uplifting things, it's very easy for something bad to slip in there. And that can change the course of your healing. Cause then you, you know, at least with me, I, I doze off and you know, want to know what I'm dreaming about. I'm dreaming about that one bad thing that slipped through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want that healing to take place during that window. And so, you know, I want to, I want to heal from, I want to heal from really good uplifting places, not places mm-hmm. that cast a shadow. And um, so support, support your, your loved one, anything that they need, just be there without question. And, and removing the stigma, can I just say this? Mm. Coming out of the clinic, I'm always feeling so humiliated because first of all, I have sunglasses on, I'm stumbling, I've got my arm around my daughter, she's helping me walk out, I'm nauseous, I'm, I, I'm pale. Sometimes I'm sobbing. And uh, it hasn't happened often, but sometimes I come into the walk through the waiting room and there will be somebody sitting there with a loved one and I always feel so humiliated and I will, you know, climb into our vehicle and cry about that. And my daughter will say, mom, they're there for that too. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they've felt so, so much sympathy. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but like he jumped up and held the door open for us. And he even asked, do you need me to help you get out to the vehicle? And she said, mom, everybody, everybody needs some help. And, and these people that are here in the waiting room, they understand and so, you know, it's a very emotional roller coaster when you're coming out of ketamine. And having somebody there that is willing to invest in, enough in, the, in you to comfort you and pull you out of that headspace and say, 
hey, let's leave that shame at the door. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Look, you know, you, it's, it's no different than having to go to the hospital to get treatment because you're sick. It's, mm-hmm. o- it's okay. And you just need somebody that can be that rock, somebody that can be that tree for you to stand up against. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have that. And I just hope that everybody else does. Um, I guess finally, what advice or suggestions might you have for someone considering uh, trying ketamine? Some, uh, someone with, you know, treatment resistant depression who's on the fence about it. I'll just do it. Don't <laughs> simple just, enough, right? Just do it. Don't don't torture yourself for months, you know, with the fears and the what ifs, because it really as as eloquent as my my doctor put it just so eloquently when he said, "There's just nothing scarier than untreated depression. There is nothing scarier than untreated depression." Go. I mean, if you you've got nothing nothing to lose. Mm. And the sky is the limit. Once you start ketamine, the sky is the limit. That's so beautiful. I'm so happy that it was so helpful for you. Oh, it it, it saved me. It it just yeah. saved it saved my life because I was at the end. I was done. And uh, until I have been there, you just have no idea how terrifying that is. Mm-hmm. especially when you become healthy and you look back and I go, Oh, thank you. Whoever is out there protecting me. Thank you. I'm so glad I'm still here because I came so close to not being, and I can't imagine my kids and grandkids not having me. I can't imagine not being here to watch them grow. Mm-hmm. So just, you got nothing to lose. Do it. Thank you so much, Angel. This was a really wonderful experience to listen to you tell your story. I'm so glad that the interview was formatted that way because I feel like I would have missed out on so much of your um, perspective and wisdom if I had been asking specific questions the whole time. I don't know. Well, I really thank you so much, Molly, for saying that. I, I was feeling very anxious just because so much of my experience, as I said, is so spiritual. And that kind of, I feel like that's kind of, people don't talk about that very often, even with the, yeah. even with the people that I have exposure to other fellow ketamine patients. I, I will ask, like, are you having spiritual experiences or is this just a me thing? And they'll say, oh yeah, but they, you know, immediately go to something else. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of hesitant to come onto your program on your podcast and discuss so much of the spiritual aspect to it because it's not my intention to make anyone uncomfortable, but there really is this whole side to pain and healing and that requires a spiritual aspect. And and that can look like anything. It doesn't have to look like, you know, any one thing. It, it, It can be anything that you consider spiritual. It can be nature. It can be, and a lot of times mother nature is what I'm experiencing you now in the ketamine. It's just that there's a spiritual healing that has gone unnoticed, you know, and that's what we so desperately need so much of the time. And I agree. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I spent the last two years before I found ketamine begging therapist to therapist, please help me find spiritual healing. And then I found ketamine. Mm. So um, whatever you need, whatever your soul needs, whatever your mind and your heart need, ketamine is going to take care of it. I'm so glad that you took the risk to talk about that aspect of it, because I think part of the hope of including interviews in the podcast is to kind of show the diversity of experiences, you know, and to show there's no, I think a lot of people going into ketamine are worried they're going to do it wrong. Yeah. You know, and they're going to somehow mess it up and then it's not going to work right. And it's going to, you know, they're going to have a bad experience or they're going to come out of it thinking the wrong thing instead of the better thing or what, you know, and um, I think part of the hope is that 
people will see the diversity of experiences and understand that it's gonna, there's no predicting what it'll be like for you, but, um, but that, you know, hopefully it'll help. And I always feel the need to say it doesn't help everybody. Um, and I always don't, you know, I've been through treatments. I'm sure you have too, of course, that have a lot of promise and then don't work out. Um, so I don't want to make any promises to people, but, um, you know, so far it is the best, um, thing that we've gotten the tool in the toolbox yeah in the toolbox um and that it can it can it's not easy right but it can be just profoundly life-changing as you said and and whether a person is struggling with mental illness or ptsd Mm -hmm. we've all experienced loss no one is is ever going to get away from experiencing loss in this life and uh, you know especially where complicated loss is concerned um, ketamine is really helpful in helping people cope with complicated loss um, because it's very easy to get stuck in grief and ketamine helps you to climb out of that grief. And that's not something that I feel like is heavily advertised. You know, it's it kind of, well, it helps with PTSD and anxiety and depression and, you know, mm-hmm. but yes, indeed, it's been shown to help people who are you know, stuck in the grieving process to, yeah. to help them move to the next step because it's so easy to get stuck. And, and there's nothing wrong with anybody who is stuck. It's just such mm-hmm. a hard thing to cope with. And if you don't have the coping mechanisms or the right support or whatever your recipe is, you know, then it's very easy to get stuck. And that's, mm-hmm. you don't need to stay there. That's, that's really what caused me to finally spiral, you know, was just this grief that I, that swallowed me whole. And uh, the ketamine said, oh, you're still in there. Mm. You're still in there. It's, it's, you're, you're not about the grief. And I, I really just wanted to say that too, before, you know, we parted ways is that, you know, this is also for people who are, who are grieving. Yeah, I think that is very helpful. I think there's so many people out there in that situation and in the situation you describe about, you know, really feeling that they need spiritual healing. And there, there's not a lot of room for that, like you said, in the mental health system. There's not, there's not a lot of tools people have to help people like, you know, in that, in that sort of crisis. Um so I really appreciate you highlighting both of those things. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I was very hesitant, but I, but thank you for, for making me feel better about um, just taking the dive and, and discussing it because um, I was going to change the course of the discussion and not cover my, mm. my spiritual experiences or, or, you know, because as you even stated, it, it really helped you with your relationship with your grandmother being where she is now. You know? right. And and it does, it, it changes things for the better because you, then you're working with, you know, a healed brain instead of a brain that is just so bogged down. Right. And I, and the, the tackling things that are difficult to talk about is another kind of blessing and virtue of its own, you know, that's kind of one of the points of the whole podcast also is just to get it out there, talk about it. And you don't know, I think so often we're suffering from the, from very similar things, but we don't, we could be right next to each other and not know it. Yeah. The stigma, it's the stigma. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm so grateful for people like you with, you know, these podcasts, because you are helping to remove that stigma. And, you know, I, this is, I'm, living testimony to ketamine because a year ago I would have never reached out to someone who has Mm. a podcast to ask for an interview. Never. I would think about it and dream about it, but I would never ever feel brave enough or have enough confidence to do something like that. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden one day I was like, you know, I really love Molly's podcast Mm. and uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna email her. I'm so glad you did. And thank you so much for that. I'm so glad you like it. Oh, I love it. And I keep waiting for new ones to come out. (laughs) Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> struggle over here, but they're coming. They are coming. But just, just so you know, you've got fans out here that are like, you know, wow. Um, and I was so excited when I found your podcast because I thought, surely, if I type in ketamine, you know, in, in the podcast app, nothing. And when you popped up, I was hooked and I listened okay. to every single episode um, because there is comfort. There is so much comfort in knowing that there are other people experiencing your experiences and having the same treatments and mm. that you're not afraid to talk about it, you know? Right. Right. And it's about setting an example, like you said, to your daughters and your grandkids and every example, every one of us that goes out and talks about it makes it a little easier, hopefully for the next person. And so I just, I want to thank you so much, Angel, for coming on the show. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. And I hope maybe we can, you know, it, you're right. We could talk about, I feel like we could talk for <laughs> another couple of days. I do too. <laughs> well, thank you, Angel. Thank you listeners for sharing your time with us today. And deep thanks to Angel for sharing this wonderful story. If you would like to come on the show, please email us at ketamineinsights at gmail.com. If you enjoy our work, please help us out by liking and subscribing. Our website has links to all the ways you can send us money. That's at ketamineinsights.com. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Molly Dunn. Our theme song is by Solid State Symphony. We'll see you soon, and in the meantime, remember to advocate for yourself and never ration your joy. She's sometimes sad, she's sometimes happy, she's doing things to make her life less crappy, trying to treatment that's new on the scene, let's sit back.